Welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast with Weekly Standard founder and editor-at-large Bill Crystal. I'm Eric Felton. Before we get rolling, I should mention that the Crystal Clear Podcast is sponsored by the Dollar Shave Club. They don't mess around with 14-blade razors and magic lubrication strips or other silly shave technology. As a Weekly Standard Podcast listener, you can enjoy your first month with the Dollar Shave Club for just $5 with free shipping included. Just go to dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. Again, dollarshaveclub.com slash weekly standard. Bill Crystal, welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast. Eric Fulton, welcome to the Crystal Clear Podcast. You it's know, my first time. It's exciting. The it's... audience is surging as we speak. <laughs> <laughs> you can so, feel the excitement in the radio wa- waves. Is are, there there, are there radio waves? I don't know anymore. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't know. It goes over wires or Bluetooth <laughs> Some, or something. Exactly. It's, it's a mystery. It? So this week there was a an election in Montana for the single House seat in the whole state. It's very exclusive to be a right. congressman. <laughs> from Montana. And uh, we had the Republican candidate was a tech millionaire, um, which is kind of new Montana, versus cowboy poet folk singer, which you can't get much kind of older Montana than that. The cowboy folk poet did not prevail, but it was a uh, a bang-em-up election. Yes, so to speak. I mean, the, of course, the Republican assaulted a reporter uh, the day before the election, but most of the vote was already in. It ended up being uh, you know, a huge amount of national spending, I think a nationalized election. People were voting Republican or Democrat, not for either of them, for all the interests people might have in the particular character of those two candidates. And what it showed is that in a district that – it's the state. So in a state that at the House level has wavered between – you know, about plus 10 and plus 15, 16, I believe, depending on which election you look at, but probably is naturally, let's say, a plus 10, plus 12 Republican uh, outcome. It was plus six Republican. So if you look at it from a Democratic point of view, they're gaining, they're, they're doing better. This is the, the every special election since President Trump's uh, victory. The Democrats have outperformed their historic norm. They've also lost these races in Kansas. Right. They and, keep saying, you know, this is the one we're going to get yeah. and embarrass but, the But, I mean, I'd say right now, if you just do a kind of try to – you're generalizing from a, a number of you – know, from two or three instances, so it's obviously uh, hard to tell. And I think the Georgia 6th election on, on June 20th will probably be the most interesting of these because that's the most competitive seat. Right now, the trend looks to be that the Democrats will win seats in 2018 if, if we just sort of project the current trend. They may win enough to take the House. They may just fall short. It doesn't look like a huge wave, but it doesn't look like nothing either. How many do they need? It's like 24? 24, I think. Yeah. I think Republicans are too confident at this talking point that, you know, the Democrats just keep falling short. Yeah, but if the truth is this is, I think, the 125th um, – what somebody even could say this right? It was the three hundred and twentieth or something like that most Republican seat in the House. You know, <laughs> for the Democrats to win this, it would imply that they were going to wipe out you know a hundred Republicans on uh, in two thousand eighteen. So coming within six isn't bad for the Democrats. It would suggest they'll win closer seats, but coming within six also wasn't as good as meant they didn't do as well as they had hoped. Since as I say, it's normally a plus ten plus twelve. They picked up four to six points. My shorthand on the whole thing is Trump so far is not a disaster for the Republican Party in terms of what we can tell from elections. Uh, And there are only scattered special elections at the federal and a few at the state level. Trump's not helping the Republican Party. Certainly there's no Republican surge. And mostly it's very early. and We don't really know what people's judgment of Trump will be, obviously, by November 2018. 
Now, a lot of that uh, judgment will not only have to do with Trump and how he behaves and how he does behave, mm-hmm. uh, but um, but how the House and Senate both deal with the budget that uh, we got from OMB this week and uh, and a budget that's wrapped up in all sorts of other big issues, tax reform, repeal and replace of Obamacare, uh, military spending. What do you think of the uh, the budget that the White House put forward this week? You know, for all of Trump's being a different kind of Republican, it's a fairly conventional conservative Republican budget. The liberal media hate it because it cuts various uh, social safety net programs, uh, liberal big government programs. There's a lot of data that suggests some of those programs don't work well. Some of the others probably do work a little better than the budget document allows. Um, I think this budget will be sort of forgotten now that it's been issued and the uh, Congress will go to work and won't follow Trump's recommendations for uh, sharp cuts in some of these domestic programs, Um, but probably won't be. It's a Republican Congress. They're not going to be spending a huge amount of money on these programs either. I'd say recess comes this week, and I think the big story will be – the budget was a big story for a couple of days. The big story going forward has got to be how the health care issue gets resolved. It's now in the Senate. The House narrowly passed not very good replacement of Obamacare, but something that still was a replacement of Obamacare, still is a replacement of Obamacare. These senators are going to go home. They've got a working group. They're trying to cobble something together that can get 50 votes in the Senate. I think the mood out there, the sense of whether people are open even to a Republican alternative or whether they've so mishandled it that the well is poisoned and and enough Republican senators just decide, ugh, who needs it? We'll get beat up for leaving Obamacare in place, but we can say we'll revisit it later. Why should we put something uh, in place in in turn, which has all kinds of problems associated with it, which may well be really unpopular? Uh, That's very hard for me to to game out. But I I think if I were – I think we'll know much more in two weeks about Obamacare repeal and replace, which in turn has implications for tax, for the tax plan and implications for the overall question of, you know, as a Republican president and Republican Congress, can they do anything? Now, Fred Barnes has been arguing for some time that the Republicans should have and should still go ahead with tax reform first and get get to health care later on. I would have said that. I did say that and would continue to say that. But they're so far down the road now, they're either going to have to give up on health care for quite a while, which will itself be a huge story, or go ahead and try to jam something through the Senate and then tell the House, take it or leave it. They can't go to conference, I think, and negotiate this. So there's, they've staked a lot on the Obamacare repeal. It was not Trump's instinct to do that. There are reasons why they ended up doing that both, you know, they really should repeal Obamacare, so it wasn't ridiculous, and also budget-driven reasons, budget process reasons that Paul Ryan was very much influenced by. They thought they could get more money for the tax plan by doing Obamacare first uh, under, under the kind of reconciliation rules. But um, I think if this fails, people will look back and say this was a case where they, the combination of Trump's inexperience and Paul Ryan's poor judgment, honestly, um, combined to lead them. A particular kind of poor judgment, by the way, which is it seems that Paul Ryan is always sort of a sucker, if you will, for the wonky solution. He likes, you know, it's like the Brits and automobiles. They overcomplicate them. <laughs> and, you know, I defer to you on the automobile question, but <laughs> I, I myself have never driven a British automobile. But yes, they famously have these very elegant automobiles that I guess 
don't last too long. They right? don't work because yeah. the engineering is, you know, if you could do it in one step, they'll always do it in five is steps. That, yeah, the and there's a little rate. bit of that, I think. There was a lot of that in terms of, like, we have to do healthcare first, and then that goes, and then the tax plan. I, I agree with if I had come in and been advising Donald Trump, I would have said, do something, win a victory for either win some small victories, which you could have done on a bunch of issues, or win one biggish victory early. And the obvious one there was taxes. Um, and then you can get to, you know, meanwhile, you have a six month study group on exactly which replacement of Obamacare. I, I don't agree at all that voters were demanding action in the first month or two on that. Voters would have understood if you'd say, if you had said, this is extremely complicated. It's one sixth of the U.S. economy. Obama's messed it up in all kinds of ways. We need to take some time and figure out exactly how to get all these pieces replaced in, in the right way. They didn't do that. And I, I, that, was a cons- that was a decision that may prove to have you know, serious consequences for the success of the Trump legislative agenda. So now this budget was uh, brought forward while the president was out of town, his first foreign yes. trip. What do, you, what do you think worked and what do you think didn't work in, in his trip? You know, until he got to the NATO meeting, he was staying on script and, uh, you know, we have a pretty competent still uh, foreign service bureaucracy uh, in the defense and state departments and elsewhere that can write appropriate speeches for the president, give him appropriate briefings for meetings. And Trump, I thought, looked fine. He was presidential, uh, appearing. I mean, there are things I would have done differently. I'm not as much of a fan of Saudi Arabia as Trump seems to be. I think the idea that we're going to marshal this Sunni world behind us against Iran and against the Shias little crazy. I mean, it's okay to a degree, but it's not as if most of the terrorism is necessarily coming from the Shia. We're, you know, yeah. the terrorist in Manchester, to the best of my knowledge, is Sunni, as most of the ISIS and Al-Qaeda-inspired terrorists are. So the idea that we're with Sunni Islam and their civil war with Shia is a little, a little odd, I think. So I didn't really like that part of the Saudi trip. But if the trip had ended before he got to, uh, to NATO headquarters, I think people would have said, well, okay, he pulled, and the Pope, he pulled off a decent the first trip, and people who are so alarmed as I have been about Trump and foreign policy are excessively alarmed. I think the NATO visit was pretty bad. I mean, the idea that you're going, it's one thing to mention that they should, of course, pay more for defense. The idea of making that the centerpiece of, in a way, of your remarks at a NATO summit, at your first NATO summit, when you're dealing with Russia, when you're, there's just been a terror attack that week and in a NATO member's uh, city, it just looks inappropriate and sort of, I don't know, vulgar and, and just... This is the U.S. We're the keystone of the alliance, and we're, you know, badgering them to for a couple of billion dollars more in defense instead of talking substantively about these major issues. I think that was a bit of a, a mistake, or at least perceive, gave the perception of of uh, missing the forest for the trees. Um, having said all that, at the end of the day, compared to what expectations were, uh, he, he probably got away with a. It probably will help him a little bit to have had a, a non disastrous foreign trip. Now, he returns to a town where there is a special counsel that uh, seems to already be you know, busy. There are some people who are trying to argue, um, I don't know how compellingly, that this was a, a, a good thing for Republicans. It gives a, a breathing space. The pressure is off a bit while the investigation goes further. But it seems to me any time... You've got a special counsel. You've got somebody as capable as Bob Mueller, whose whole job is basically to get you, even though he may not look at it that way. That's what these jobs come down to, that it just cannot be a good thing. I'm with you on that. I think people are being very short. 
short-sighted Republicans and conservatives who are reassuring themselves. There is a bit of a lull, maybe. We'll see if there is or isn't, but there could be a bit of a lull. But again, we're beyond like, gee, it's short-term. We, we have some PR pressure relief for a week or two. There's an actual FBI investigation going. Uh, once they start investigating one thing, it can lead them to the next. Ken Starr began with Whitewater. He ended up with Monica Lewinsky, and, <laughs> and not illegitimately so. I mean, if someone starts, if, if you're led to something else and you inquire about it and someone lies to a grand jury, that's a serious matter. And you could have analogous situations, one can imagine. One begins with Flynn's Russia ties, and you end up asking someone else in senior staff or up to the president himself questions about what he did here or here, and you don't get to honest answers or their attempts to cover up, and suddenly you're in a very different ballgame. That's been true of a lot of these a lot of these investigations. So I think it's a serious matter to have an FBI investigation going right into the White House. And again, people who are Trump's defenders say it's all unfair and there are leaks and this and that. That may be, but very few presidents, no president, has had to fire a national security advisor a month in, chose to fire an FBI director, what, three months in, I suppose, uh, now has a difficult time replacing that FBI director and now has had the deputy attorney general appoint a special counsel. Um, you know, it, it, he might, it might all be for the best. I think the firing of Flynn and the replacement by McMaster, I've said this before, is probably the single best thing that Trump did in his first 100 days and may end up helping the Trump presidency over the medium and long term a lot. Uh, it may be that he replaces Comey at the FBI with someone else and that someone else gets confirmed and it's no big deal. It may well be that Mueller investigates and maybe Flynn did some things he shouldn't have done, but it doesn't go beyond that. It's just that you're giving a lot of hostages to fortune when you, when you, when you conduct yourself in your first 120 days or so to a, when all these things have happened on your, on your first 120 days. You can recover. You can have a rocky start. But I think it has been a rocky start. Bill Crystal, thanks for joining us on the Crystal Clear Podcast. That's it for the Crystal Clear Podcast. Be sure to tune in every week. Just go to iTunes or Google Play for a free subscription or go to our website, weeklystandard.com. I'm Eric Felton. Thanks for listening.